What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Live from Liverpool, The Dark Paranormal, Season 2. My name's Kevin Eustace, and this is The Dark Paranormal. Yes, you will have noticed that we've moved days. The Dark Paranormal will now be released each and every Friday. There's many reasons for that move, but the main one is to ensure that I can put a quality show out. So, instead of a Thursday, set your calendars for a Friday release. I firstly want to say thank you to everyone who's reached out since the end of last week's episode regarding the real story behind The Exorcist. I specifically would like to mention Tony, Tracy, Sarah and Misty for your feedback and comments that you've emailed over. It really means a lot to podcasters such as myself to receive feedback, and indeed, without it, the show doesn't exist. If you'd like to send some comments, feedback, or indeed stories for Season 3, when we will return to listener stories, you can email thedarkparanormal at hotmail.com. And of course, if you're a fan of the show, and you're willing to assist with the production of future series, you can join our Patreon. Patreon is really the lifeblood of an independent podcast, and by signing up, not only will you be supporting the show, dependent on your level, you will also receive early access to the shows 48 hours before they're released to the general public. You could also receive scripts and links to research notes. To sign up today, go to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal. And I'd like to say thank you to our new Patreons, Lana Lajewski and Emily Norwood. Thank you guys, your support means a lot. And for any Patreons at the researcher level, please be aware that we're working to make those scripts look all nice and shiny for you, and they'll be released this coming weekend. So once more, that's patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal. So, which famous case will we be giving the dark paranormal treatment today? 
As mentioned last week, today and next week, we will be looking in two parts at undoubtedly Britain's most famous poltergeist case. I am, of course, talking about the Enfield poltergeist. What is, to me, more interesting than anything about the Enfield poltergeist story is how polarising the story is. If you're a fan of the paranormal, you've definitely come across the Enfield poltergeist story, be it through the knowledge of the actual case or from watching The Conjuring 2, a Hollywood attempt to recreate what took place from 1977 onwards in a small house in Enfield, London. People who know the story generally fall into one of three camps. Total belief, total disbelief, or a mix of the two. And hopefully, by the end of episode two, you'll find yourself in one of those camps too. But for now, I give you a version of the events that took place surrounding the Enfield poltergeist. It's 1977, London. England. The Clash were making waves after releasing their debut album. Whilst in the north of England, Peter Sutcliffe, later to be known as serial killer, the Yorkshire Ripper, was in the midst of his killing spree. The decade which would spawn so much iconography and change which would echo down the ages was in full bloom. And whilst history was being formed all across the country, there was 284 Green Street, a three-bedroom council-owned semi-detached house in the borough of Enfield, London, dating from the 1920s. There it sat, completely unaware that it too was about to make its mark on history, albeit for terrifying reasons. At this time, it was occupied by a family consisting of 47-year-old divorcee Peggy Hodgson and her four children, Margaret, 13, Janet, 12, John, 11, and Billy, 7. Peggy was a mother hen in every sense of the word. Being a single mother in the 70s was no small feat, let alone attempting to bring up four children through arguably the most transformative ages of their lives. To this end, though, Peggy done enough. Money was always an issue. Uniforms needed replacing and food needed to be on the table. So in this world, enough was the highest mark on the scoreboard. Margaret and Janet were chalk and cheese, which is often the way in siblings of similar age. Margaret was wary, sceptical of newcomers and change, Janet, on the other hand, was an extrovert in the highest sense. She would talk to anyone and engage them in attempted jokes or debate. On the 31st of August, 1977, around 9.30pm, Peggy had put the children to bed and was settling down for a night of TV. She could hear the usual sounds of the kids upstairs as they settled down, footsteps, etc., She usually gave them half an hour or so to get whatever excess energy they had out before she would shout upstairs for them to settle down. The kettle boiled and Peggy poured the water in the teapot to let it stew for a while, 
she stirred the pot, trying to get her mind in order with the financial ins and outs of the upcoming week. "'Jesus, child!' she exclaimed, clutching at her chest. John had managed to come downstairs and stand in the doorway without her realising. With her so caught up in her thoughts, she was terrified. "'You gave me an awful fright. Whatever's the matter?' "'We can hear something in our room. It's not me or Janet either. "'We just stayed still for ages and it carried on.' "'Peggy shook her head and took a deep breath, still getting over her initial fright. "'Come on, you,' she said, motioning for John to lead the way. "'I don't know what you two have been watching or reading, but that's it now. "'No more TV before bed for you two,' she said, admonishing John as he walked ahead. John opened the door and jumped on his bed, turning to face his mother. Janet was already sat up in bed, holding the bedsheet to her chin, a look of fear etched on her young face. Peggy stood in the doorway. Now listen, you two. I've had it up to here with... Knock, knock. Two distinct knocks came from behind Janet's bedstead. What was that? whispered Peggy, fixing Janet with an accusatory glare. Janet just slowly shook her head as if to say she didn't know. See, whispered John, I wasn't lying. Shh, said Peggy, as all three listened out. Knock, knock, knock. Three slow knocks came once more from the area around Janet. Peggy was starting to get concerned. Maybe it's the neighbours. Perhaps they... Screech. Peggy turned her head just at the right time to see it, and the kids screamed in unison. A packed full chest of drawers, which had rested against the wall, moved over a foot away from the wall in one sudden jolted move. The old casters squealing with the drawer's first move in months. Downstairs, now, said Peggy, and skipping two stairs at a time, all three found themselves huddled downstairs in the living room, shortly followed by a confused Margaret and Billy. John, go next door and fetch Vic. He'll know what to do. Vic Nottingham lived next door with his wife and son. He was a man's man, a rugged manual labourer, who didn't scare easy. His son, Gary, was a carbon copy of his dad. So... Peggy was relieved when the two men returned with young John. John wasn't making much sense, Peg, he began. Something about knocking and things flying about. Peggy explained what the family had just all witnessed to a sympathetic but sceptical Vic. Right, well, me and Gary will go upstairs and check it out. If there's anyone up there, we'll send them packing, don't worry, he said with a reassuring smile. On the way upstairs, Vic turned to Gary and gave a smile and a shrug of disbelief. Probably all watched a scary film. He chuckled to Gary as they reached the landing. Right, this is the room, he said, opening the door and stepping in. Just as Peggy had said, there were the drawers, clearly pulled away from the wall. Gary walked over and pushed the drawers back. It took much more effort than he assumed. I don't know how they managed to move that, to be fair. 
This acted as the first blow to their sceptical thought process, and both puffed out their chest in defiance and surveyed the room. Knock, knock. Both froze and looked at each other. Could be next door, said Gary. We are next door, you wally, replied Vic, returning them both to silence. After twenty minutes upstairs, Vic and Gary returned to the living room. Both looked considerably less positive than before they'd left. Listen, Peg, um, we've no idea. No one's up there now, but we did hear knocking on the walls too. But, like I say, I've, I've got no idea, I'm sorry. So what should I do now? What if you've missed him and there's someone in a cupboard or something? Said Peggy. Well, why don't you call the old Bill then? It'll put your mind at ease. Just say you think you've had an intruder. They'll send someone round to come and check properly for you, suggested Gary. It's a good idea, Peg, said Vic. At least you'll all get a good night's sleep after they've been. So, Peggy phoned the police and advised them what they'd experienced that evening. Vic thought maybe given how Peggy had described it, they wouldn't send someone after all. Peggy made it sound as though she was asking them to come and arrest a ghost. To Vic's surprise, however, an hour later, around 1am, two police officers arrived at 284 Green Street. PC Heaps and PC Hyams entered the living room and tried to get everyone calm and sat down. Right, Mrs Hodgson, started PC Heaps. Can you tell me in your own words what's gone on here tonight? Peggy proceeded to divulge the full breakdown of events for that evening culminating, much to the embarrassment of Vic, with Peggy stating, I think this house is haunted. PC Heaps looked across the room to PC Hyams. She could tell he was fighting to hold back a laugh. Still, as silly as this sounded, it was light relief to be here rather than on the streets at this hour. So, Peggy, started PC Hyams. Shh said Peggy, putting her fingers to her lips. Knock, 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 knock. Four taps coming from the living room wall. PC Heaps placed down her notepad and walked over to the wall. She put her ear to the wall as the room remained silent. Knock, 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 knock. Four more taps, but this time from the adjacent wall. PC Hames walked over to that one, again placing an ear to the wall. For minutes, the room stayed in silence, before both PCs exchanged a look and regrouped in the centre of the room. So, these knockings, do you have any plumbing issues, loose fittings? Are your neighbours noisy this time of night, things like that? No, none of these things, said Peggy. Tell him about the drawers, Gary. Gary looked a bit embarrassed. He thought once the police came, him and his dad could just leave. And now he was going on record with a copper, sounding like he believed in ghosts and fairies and all sorts. Well, it had moved, you see, he said sheepishly to PC Hames. And you seen these drawers move by yourself, did you, son? No, no, they'd moved by the time we checked. 
It, it could have been the kids or anything, he laughed, much to the annoyance of Peggy. I was with the kids when it happened. I told you that, Gary. You even said you heard knocks when you went up there. Okay, Mrs Hodgson, calm down. P.C. Hames and I will just have a quick look around if that's okay, said P.C. Heaps. For the next twenty or so minutes, the officers scoured the property, checking each and every room and crevice for either an intruder or a rational explanation. After checking the kitchen last, they re-entered the living room. Let's have a quick break to talk to you about Policy Genius. Now, we all like to put off life insurance talk because it reminds us of our mortality. But life insurance isn't about death, it's about life. It's about ensuring the lives of those you love remain secure and comfortable. And I'm sure many of you will think, well, I'm covered through work or I'm covered through my bank account. But believe me, you want to check those finer details because you may be surprised what you're actually covered for. And this is exactly where Policy Genius come into their own. Yes, we could talk about how Policy Genius is America's leading online insurance marketplace or how their award-winning agents will walk you step by step through the entire process. But the best thing about Policy Genius for me is they don't have a dog in the fight. They're not going to strong arm you towards one company or another. They've no incentive to do so. Their only incentive is to listen to your needs, scour America's top companies and find you the best price. For example, with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that begin at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options even offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. There's a reason why Policy Genius has thousands of five-star reviews on Google and Trustpilot, and you'll find out what it is when you tick life insurance off your to-do list with Policy Genius. So head over to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Okay, Mrs. Hodgson, we've done a thorough check in each. PC Heaps was distracted by Peggy's son John, who, from where he was sat on the living room floor raised his arm to point at a chair which had been placed next to the sofa. The chair was slowly moving from side to side. Knock, 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 knock. It stopped. Heaps looked at Hyams and was about to speak when it slid towards both of them as they stood in the kitchen doorway, stopping just in front of them, having moved a good four feet from where it originated. In a mixture of excitement and disbelief, Peggy leapt from her seat and pointed at the chair. See, I told you something wasn't right in this house. Everyone in the room was shocked into a frozen silence. 
all except Janet, who, with her knees tucked up to her face, was rocking back and forth, looking around all the faces, with almost an amused look in her eyes as they peeped over her nightgown-covered knees. We'll file an official report back at the station, Mrs Hodgson, but I'd be happy to say there's no physical intruder here. P.C. Hames motioned to P.C. Heaps, nodding towards the door. Is that it? said Peggy, following them both to her doorstep. You saw that chair move yourself. And we'll say so in our report, Mrs Hodgson, began P.C. Heaps, as she stepped into the open air. But we can't put handcuffs on something that isn't there now, can we? She finished in a lower voice. Peggy bit her lip, thanked the officers for their time and returned to the living room. The next day, Vic returned to see how the rest of the night had gone. Peggy made them both some tea and they stood in the kitchen as the kids played in the living room. Quiet, really, began Peggy. Mind, I didn't sleep a wink. Waiting for something to happen, you know? Mmm, agreed Vic. Maybe get in touch with the council or the church or something. See if they'll move you on. If it continues, that is. Have a look in the phone book to... Ow! Something hard bounced away on the kitchen floor. That bloody marble just got through at my head. Oi! He shouted towards the living room, bursting in to find Janet and John sat on the couch, heads buried in a comic book. What? asked Janet. Peggy followed behind Vic. Have one of you just thrown a bloody marble at Vic? The kids looked shocked at the accusation. So much so that John immediately burst into tears. Janet put her arm around him. We haven't moved from this couch, and Johnny's marbles are upstairs, she said defiantly. Well, whatever you're doing, pack it in, said Peggy, returning to the kitchen with Vic, back to their original places. Vic looked in thought. Peggy, if it was them that threw that, it would have had to come round that wall, he said, nodding towards the doorway. It would have had to have come back on itself. Peggy just stared blankly at the doorway. I don't know what to do, she muttered under her breath. Over the next few days, Peggy would find more marbles dotted around the living room, on the stairs, in her bed, having not been there the last time she checked, and each time the kids would deny all responsibility. Vic called round one evening with some duct tape to secure a kitchen pipe. In a previous conversation, he'd advised Peggy that water pressure may have caused the pipe to start knocking on the wall, and in turn moving other pipes around the home to create the raps both she and the kids had started hearing once more. There, that should do it, said Vic, appearing from under the sink. Thanks, Vic, you're a lifesaver. I've just made a fresh pot and took it through, she said, heading to the living room. She poured Vic a tea. Janet's taking all this a bit differently than the others. How do you mean? asked Vic, picking up his cup. Well, she seems to be enjoying it all a bit. Well, that's kids for you. It's all imagination and excitement at that age. I remember when... Click. The living room lights went out. There were only the two of them in the room this time, and both were accounted for. 
Peggy stood up and headed for the switch. Click. The lights came back on before she reached the switch. She turned to face Vic. I don't think that's faulty lights, because I heard the switch click. Vic? Vic was open-mouthed staring just to the left of Peggy. He couldn't believe his eyes, but there, rotating in mid-air, as if being spun through a man's fingers, was a small, red Lego brick. It dropped as Peggy turned around to see what Vic had been looking at, bouncing away off Peggy's left slipper. Where did that come from? asked Peggy. Vic, now on his feet and pointing, said, It was... it it was just there floating. There by your head. It hit the deck when you turned round. Listen, Peg, the missus has suggested getting in touch with the papers. The police can't do anything about this. Maybe someone out there will read about it and try to help. Peggy, though initially sceptical about the idea, agreed. And, on 4th of September, Mrs Nottingham, Vic's wife, phoned the Daily Mirror, in the hope they would put her in touch with someone who could help. A few days later, and there was a knock at the door. Mrs Hodgson, pleased to meet you. I'm Douglas Bentz with the Daily Mirror, and this is our photographer, Graham Morris. Oh, yes, please, come in. The reporters entered the house. It seemed like a run-of-the-mill London council house. Nothing untoward. It also appeared the entire family had gathered in the living room in excitement over the reporter's arrival. Have you met the Bay City Rollers? asked Janet before they even sat down. Uh, no, love, laughed Douglas, pulling out his notepad. So tell us what's been going on then. Peggy went on to divulge each event as it happened, recalling the police arriving and witnessing the chair moving the objects being thrown, the knockings. Douglas appeared unimpressed. Right. See, how do I put this? Apart from the two officers seeing the chair move, it's not much of a story, really. I mean, could you ask the ghost to do something now? It's not how it works, Janet jumped in. It doesn't just perform on demand. Right, okay. Well, I think we've got enough for now anyway. Graham, would you take a pick of the family in case we need any of this? Sure, said Graham. Say cheese. The Hodgsons begrudgingly posed for a photo. Vic arrived as the reporters were packing up. Amazing, isn't it? He said to Douglas. Oh yeah, big time, Douglas replied with a sarcastic smile. "Um, We'll be in touch, said Douglas as he and Graham headed back out to the car. What a waste of time that was, said George. What do you reckon? Page five filler story? If that, mate, said Douglas, slamming the boot. Makes you wonder why they even bothered getting in touch. They opened their respective doors and climbed in the car, indicating to pull away. Douglas was about to release the handbrake when there came a thud on his car window. It's happening again. Quick, get in here now. It was the neighbour, Vic. Vic. Fumbling to grab their equipment, the reporters followed Vic back into the Hodgson's living room. Neither of them could believe the sight laid out before them. Peggy attempted to hold her arms around her crying children, all burying their heads into their mother's chest, whilst above them, 
a hail of children's Lego bricks flew through the air, bouncing off walls, some shattering with the impact. Get your camera out, shouted Douglas to Graham. Not an easy task given the apparent paranormal tornado whipping through the living room. I'm trying, replied Graham, snapping the cap off his camera lens. Right, I'm ready. They're moving too fast. They're like bullets. I'll try and... Whack! Ow! shouted Graham, dropping his camera and reaching up to his face. One just bloody hit me! Just like that, in a few seconds, the spiritual hurricane had passed, leaving a sobbing family huddled together in the centre of the living room and two gobsmacked reporters, one still clutching his face. Right, began an out-of-breath Douglas. We'll be back. This is front-page stuff, I reckon. He nodded to the still bewildered Graham, who just nodded blankly in reply. Peggy, I want to bring two more colleagues, an additional reporter and another photographer. Just to try and get as much as we can recorded, you know. And if it's okay with you, we'd want to stay for a few nights. The living room floor is fine. We just need to make it a watertight story. Try and get everything in one fell swoop if you get me. I'm serious when I say this could be a front page story. The children glanced at each other, almost, some would say, with excitement. In 1977, being front page of a national newspaper was not as throwaway as it is today. It can make you famous overnight. I'm not bothered about all that, as long as people believe me and we can maybe get some bloody help, said Peggy, still rubbing her children's arms and backs. So, the next morning, Douglas and Graham and Daily Mirror reporter George Fallows and photographer David Thorpe arrived at 284 Green Street and began unpacking the car. The two newcomers were as sceptical as you might expect as they began retrieving their things. You sure it wasn't your missus? said Fallows to Graham with a smile, pointing at his cheek where the flying Lego brick had left a bruise. You won't be laughing after spending the night here, mate, I promise you. Hey, my kid needs a piece to finish off a house he's building, so can you try and catch it next time? added Thorpe. Right pair of comedians you two, aren't we? If you don't want a front-page story, you just say and we'll take it ourselves, retorted Douglas. Both men piped down. I thought so, said Douglas. Peggy had made tea for the four men, and Janet helped pour it out as they set up their equipment. Have you met the Bay City Rollers? she whispered to Fallows. No, he whispered back. Just Cliff Richard, with a wink. I don't like him, replied Janet, walking off with a tea tray. Charming girl, Fallow sarcastically said to himself. Here, Janet, I'll help you with that, said Graham, following her to the kitchen. Knock, knock. Shh, said Douglas. It's starting. You watch what happens next. The three men froze. Douglas hoped for a repeat of yesterday's activity. But minutes passed. Then, Fallows broke the silence. Can I crack on with unpack? Smash! The men jumped. The noise had come from the kitchen. And so they briskly headed to the doorway. There was a smashed plate on the floor. A trembling Janet in the corner. And a confused looking Graham stood by the sink. Did you drop a plate, love? Asked Thorpe. No, it flew off the side she said, pointing to the worktop next to where Graham stood. Well, did it? Thorpe asked Graham. 
I didn't see. I will say it was definitely on this side, and Janet hasn't moved, and I didn't knock it, so... Right, so no evidence there then, said Thorpe, going back to set up his camera. By the next morning, Thorpe's sceptical attitude had vanished, as over breakfast he explained about the knockings which had kept him awake through the night. I'm surprised none of you heard it. First that wall, he said, pointing. Then right after that, that wall, pointing at the opposite wall. Then after that, well, it felt like it was coming from under me feet. And that's not all. He reached into his back pocket, pulling out a small yellow Lego brick. I felt something plop onto my pillow in the early hours. I reached me hand up, and it was this. Out of nowhere, the three men listened to Thorpe's story intently. No one wanted to admit it, but there was definitely something happening in that house. I made a call this morning, said Douglas. The SPR, Society for Psychical Research. I was thinking, us four idiots don't know anything about ghosts and all this. For a front page, we'll need a professional view. You know, someone who's got experience in spooks and goblins and the likes. Anyway, they're sending someone round this morning for us. Good idea, said Graham. I don't even mean for the front page. I mean more for the family's sake. Come on, interrupted Fallows. This family could make a good few quid off this. Let's not make out they're not aware of it. Boom. The house shook. Like a wagon had hit the side of the semi-detached house, hard. Then came the screams from upstairs. The four men ran upstairs to find Janet on the floor, seemingly in a stupor. She started growling, and then there was this big bang, said John. Peggy sat Janet down as the four men, heart racing, tried to make sense of what had just happened. Janet, my love, whatever happened, said a frantic Peggy, clearing Janet's fringe from her face. Then came an authoritative knock at the front door. Can one of you get that, please? asked Peggy to the confused men. Yeah, yeah, of course, replied Thorpe, shaking the fear off himself as he walked down the stairs. He opened the door to a very well-dressed man, somewhere in his sixties if he had to guess, a handlebar moustache that could only be pulled off by the most eccentric of Englishmen. The gentleman gave a broad smile and reached out his hand. You call the SPR? You think you have a poltergeist? Sorry? Oh, yes, sorry, we did, replied Thorpe. Ah, it is the right address, then. Your face made me think you wasn't expecting me. My name is Morris Gross. We'll conclude the story of the Enfield Poltergeist next week on The Dark Paranormal. And as you may be aware, if you're familiar with the story, you're about to be introduced to a man called Bill, a dead man called Bill, who takes possession of Janet. Next week, we will also take a deep dive into each facet of the case and find out why, over 40 years after the event itself, people still have arguments and discussions about what took place at 284 Green Street, better known as the Enfield Poltergeist. Again, to remind you all, you can get in touch with the show by emailing thedarkparanormal at hotmail.com and you can get access to episodes 48 hours before everyone else by signing up to patreon.com 
forward slash the dark paranormal. As always, I thank you for the time you spent with us today, and I'll speak to you next time on the dark paranormal. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.